Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 258 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Marshall Lichty about lawyers and ADHD. If today's podcast resonates with you and you haven't read our Small Firm Roadmap book yet, get the first chapter right now for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Today's podcast is brought to you by Smith AI, Text Expander, Rankings.io, and Back Office Betty's. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So almost two years ago, we announced and created the Small Firm Scorecard. Two years ago? Almost. Wow. Yeah. Spring of... 2018 and now it's we live in the future <laughs> that's true <laughs> um we built it as a tool for small firm lawyers to assess essentially kind of the structure and health of their firms and it's a free tool on our website i figure it's a new year it's been a while it is quite likely that podcast listeners either have never taken it or if they have that they haven't taken it in a while and even here at lawyerist even though we aren't technically a small law firm our leadership team retakes our own small firm scorecard every quarter based on our work here at Lawyerist because we want to make sure we're kind of following our own rules for how to structure and manage a small business. Yeah, it's uh, it's built to be something that you can use quarterly, but definitely yearly. And you can see your history on the site, by the way, when you're logged in. So it's a new year. Update your scorecard and see how you've done and see what you still need to work on. And so you can find the small firm scorecard at lawyerist.com slash scorecard. And again, it's free. So you might as well find out what your score is this year. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Maddie Martin from Smith AI and then my conversation with Marshall. I am Maddie Martin, the Head of Growth and Education for Smith AI, a virtual receptionist and web chat service for small businesses, mostly serving solo and small firm attorneys. Welcome back, Maddie. Uh, I was recently doing a feature chart on our website and realized that Smith AI has, I think, checked the most boxes for different ways of answering incoming inquiries, calls, chats, messages, all the kinds of things. So today we wanted to talk about the role that reception and chat and phone can play in picking up things and helping lawyers automate things they're not good at. Maybe you can lay the background for us. Why is this a concern? Well, it's a concern because 87% of lawyers are saying that they want to grow their law firm in the next three years, according to the 2019 Clio Legal Trends Report. But 76% also report being overworked and only 53% report having confidence in their business skills. So at the end of the day, running a law firm is running a business. And there are unique constraints that I would say, you know, I don't place any blame on lawyers for not being able to run a business because sometimes you just can't pick up the phone if you're in court or in trial. One of the other aspects of that, too, is I remember in the report, they're talking about what it takes to grow and growth is almost entirely fueled or at least the biggest chunk of growth appears to be fueled by putting on new efficiency, which requires business skills and the time to employ them. And so it really does feel like it's essential to figure out what 
things you aren't good at or the things that you're overpaid for doing and then get them in the hands of somebody more competent who can actually handle them well. And as you point out, like, I, I love your example that like, apart from prison, when are you so limited in your ability to answer the phone or respond to text messages and chats and, and other incoming stuff as you are when you're sitting in court? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was going to give the example of a plane ride, but I actually thought, oh, they're never going to take away my phone. It's, <laughs> it's not at all like it is at court. And then I had someone tell me once as we're like about to take off that they were going to take my phone and we were going to go back to the gate. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. It is virtually impossible for any lawyer to actually be a responsive intake reception person for their own firm. Even if they want to be able to do it when they can, there's no way they can fill all the time. It's just not possible. Well, exactly. And not only that, but when we talk about efficiency, that's really about specializing, but also opportunity cost. So oftentimes in the Clio report, it's highlighted that, you know, around two hours a day is spent on billable work. But what it comes down to is it's not just about lawyering work. Maybe it's about building your network, which is also only something you're uniquely positioned to do. Mm -hmm. But intake and phone calls and website chat and maintaining your Facebook page, these are things that someone whose hourly rate is a lot lower than yours can handle and not only handle, but do so very well and probably in a way that's highly specialized and backed by education that equips them to be really great at that on your behalf. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Smith AI and how it can help you with its multiple methods of responding to incoming communications, go to smith.ai. That's the URL, smith.ai. And you can learn more about it. And the first 30 listeners to visit there and mention that they got there from Lawyerist can get the setup fee for the free chat service waived. It's a free chat service, but there's a $150 setup fee. And for the first 30 people, it will just be completely free. You won't pay a setup fee either. So that's a cool benefit for listeners. Maddie Martin, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Sam. Hey there, I'm Marshall Lichty. I'm a lawyer and I've got ADHD. <laughs> Welcome back, Marshall. Listeners may have heard your voice before. You used to help out as a co-host of the intro section of the podcast. So now you're on the other side of the mic, which is kind of fun. I did and I am. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Good to hear your voice and good to be chatting with you through the internet. So maybe we should bring people up to speed on what you've been doing. You're no longer with Lawyerist and you have started the JDHD.com, right? That's right. So in call it July of 2018, I left Lawyerist to do a couple of things, one of which is to start a consultancy, which is really a coaching and consulting company for lawyers with ADHD and their law firms. And right now it takes the shape of a community of folks through a website and a podcast and education and resources and tools to help folks with ADHD reach their potential, kind of bridge a gap between the struggles that they're having and mm -hmm. what they know they could be doing. And so I love talking to people about where they know they could be and helping them get there. I mean, so when you, I mean, I don't remember what show you were last on on the podcast, but I don't think at the time you were talking openly about your own journey to ADHD, which is a fairly recent diagnosis for you. And I'd love you to share kind of how you came to suspect that you might have ADHD to eventually getting a diagnosis and then to where we are today. Yeah, I had some fits and starts along the way, a couple little inklings here, a gut feeling there. And 
it really came to a head when my son was diagnosed. So my oldest son is now eight. When he was seven, we brought him to a specialist in town uh, in Minneapolis here who tends to deal with some difficult cases of ADHD. And ADHD can be sort of run of the mill. It can also be a little bit more challenging. And his ended up being maybe a little bit more challenging to diagnose for a variety of reasons. And through that process, you know, I'm a researcher and I'm a helper and a reader and a teacher. I remember you voraciously devouring everything you could find about ADHD. Yeah. Devoured <laughs> it, right? And I wanted to make sure that we built an environment that was good for him to help him kind of reach his potential. And I was fascinated by the idea that his psychologist was talking about this as a strength, like mm-hmm. a legitimate superpower. I don't like that phrase, but you know, his psychologist didn't have a doubt in his mind. He said, Everett, this is going to serve you extraordinarily well in your life. Well, I mean, you remember when we had uh, Doug Brackman on the podcast to talk about it, and he describes ADHD and OCD as manifestations of sort of a hunter-gatherer skill set that just isn't as relevant in today's world, you know, which I thought was also a refreshing take on it, which sounds similar to that. I think it's right. You know, he, Everett's psychologist looked him right in the eye once he could kind of growl him. He was upside down on a couch (laughs) at the time. But uh, he growled him and he, he looked at him and he said, Everett, you and I, we don't do bored very well. And I think that's really a a critical part of this is there are people for whom being bored, not having anything going on, whether it's in their mind or in their body is really difficult. And so that can be a good thing. It can be a terrible thing if you're sitting in church or elsewhere. But you know, in general, when you have that uh, hunter mindset or proclivity, yeah, if you're asked to tend a head of lettuce, that's going to be a problem for you. But if you're asked to go hunt a, you know, a herd of buffalo, then then a different story. I'm going to jump around here on my on my roadmap, I guess, because that like we don't do bored is really resonates with me because I don't do bored either. But like I've sort of found myself curious about, huh, I wonder if I should get myself checked. But it also has never been something that feels like it rises to the level of something that's getting in my way. I guess that's my question is, when is this something where you should go and see someone about? Like, when is it important to try and get diagnosed and find out if you actually have ADHD? I mean, to a hammer, everything looks a little bit like a nail. So in my view, (laughs) if you have, if you are curious about it, I want you to go. Mm -hmm. If it has crossed your mind, if you've ever heard anything that sounded like something with attention issues, get educated, right? Do some reading, go to a doc, do a thing. The worst they can say is, oh, no, you absolutely don't have that. I was just talking to, I I had the great good fortune to speak with the world's foremost expert in ADHD. He's going to be in a podcast that I release here in the next couple of days. Oh, we didn't even say that up front. But I mean, you mentioned that you have a podcast, but JDHD is also a podcast that people can go listen to after this show. And sorry, go ahead. You have a new show that's pretty exciting sounding. Yeah, it's great. And I, I have just had some really interesting conversations, so many interesting conversations, which is why I loved being with lawyers. I loved watching you work, Sam, because the podcast that you did was an avenue for you to explore curiosities that you had about the practice of law and technology and running small businesses and entrepreneurship. And I have found the same thing with my podcast. When I reach out to people and they can tell me all of their brilliance about things, it's amazing. And Ned Hallowell on the JDHD podcast said, education is the very first treatment for ADHD. Hmm. learn about the condition. There are so many misunderstandings and misconceptions about ADHD out there that getting curious about it will then give you some tools to decide whether maybe there are some things that resonate. Hmm. The other thing that he said was it literally only helps, right? Even with 
some simple interventions. They only help if you do, in fact, have ADHD. Even small things, not medication, but just mm -hmm. a couple of little things can only help. There is literally no downside to the diagnosis. And so that's the part that I love. If you're curious about it, go get checked out. And I have lots and lots of strong feelings about where and how to do that. But if it resonates at all, I can't encourage you enough. And here's why. I know that numbers don't translate very well over a podcast, but bear with me for just a second. Mm -hmm. So the general population is believed to have about a 4.4% incidence of ADHD. About four and a half people out of 100 are thought to have ADHD. So it's not that rare. Uh, it's not rare at all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's extraordinarily... The other thing about that number is that they think about 80% of people who have it are undiagnosed. Yeah. So it's, it's dramatically larger than that. Mm. The interesting thing to me is that lawyers as a cohort self-identify at a rate of 12.5%. Mm. And yet you had told me that when that you heard from some therapists or some doctors, oh, you went to law school, you can't have ADHD. Yeah, I really have, I kind of have it out for Roberta and I feel bad about it. Um, <laughs> but I've taken to calling her my charlatan and there are others and you may have one too in your experience. I, I was treating for anxiety. I was really, really anxious at Lawyerist, but before that, when I owned my firm and ran ran mm -hmm. a small uh, law firm for entrepreneurs and small businesses in Minneapolis, I was getting anxious, and I knew that that anxiety was causing me attention issues. And so I went to see a, you know a therapist about my anxiety, and we thought that the anxiety was primary and the lack of attention was secondary. Eventually, we kind of got curious about it and said, "Well, what if the attention thing is primary and the yeah. anxiety is a result of it?" So we says, well, you know, I don't know a lot about adult ADHD, but why don't you go down the hallway to my colleague, Roberta, and she claims to have some knowledge in ADHD, you can sit with her. So we do a little bit of background and, you know, she's just doing basic history and she gets to the educational history part and she says, you know, you graduated from high school? Yeah. You went to college? Yeah. Yep. Graduated near the top of your class in college? Yep. Went to, you know, took the LSAT? Yep. Went to law school? Yep. Graduated? Yep. Got a job? Yep. Worked in a big law firm? Yep. You don't have ADHD. I'll give you this <laughs> test anyway, but you don't have ADHD. And I was a mess. I was a yeah. mess. It was a really hard message to take. And I don't know that I would have had the stick to to keep hunting it down because I already felt enough shame and self-doubt and anxiety about like the idea that I might have it right. to hear a professional say, nope, you don't. Simple as that. It was really difficult. And it was only because of some prodding from my son's psychologist that I actually went back down that rabbit hole. Gave it another try. I mean, what, another thing in there that you highlighted is that sort of it feels like ADHD and anxiety and depression are part of a bundle of mental health issues that often go together. And it's not always clear where the causes and the symptom, you know, which, which are the causes and which are the, the effects. And they all can get treated similarly as well, which is kind of an interesting thing. But it sounds like you wound up treating one and then wound up um, getting diagnosed with another as the primary. Are you still getting treated for anxiety, if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind you asking. I still take a small dose of citalopram, which is a, anxiety, mm -hmm. a very small dosage of anxiety med. Here's the scoop about it. The medical literature says a lot about these comorbid conditions, right? The friends and neighbors of ADHD. Comorbid is a weird and bad sounding word. <laughs> it is. That's why I call them friends and neighbors. <laughs> so you, you see in folks with ADHD, you very often see anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. 
you see dyslexia show up a fair amount. You huh. see autism spectrum disorder show up mm -hmm. a fair amount. You see some uh, other personality disorders. You see sleep disorders. You see a whole bunch of stuff that all shows up. And I think the point that you make is a really important one for the legal profession, Sam. We have come to this conclusion that we are broken, right? Mm -hmm. I now have faith that there is enough discussion out there that we are broken. The thing that worries me about that discussion is there's very little discussion about the root cause, hmm. right? Where is the discussion about the root cause analysis of why we have these things at such higher percentages than the rest of the population? Well, perhaps ADHD can be that answer and or part of the answer, right? Because ADHD can cause anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Living with untreated ADHD can cause anxiety and depression. I had an expert on, on the podcast who said, if you come to me later in life and you do not have significant anxiety and depression, having been undiagnosed with ADHD for your whole life, that is almost an indicator that you don't have it. He's like, I almost always see it. I mean, it has to go along with alcohol uh, and substance abuse as well, because like if I'm bored, I am much more likely to reach for a cocktail, <laughs> you know, like they have to go together. Uh, I would think as well as, as anxiety, depression, and other symptoms. The antidote to boredom is dopamine. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to get it is a drink. Uh, well, it is yeah. certainly one of them. Risky behavior is another, which is why people mm -hmm. who um, you know populate our prisons have an exponentially higher likelihood of having ADHD. It's why people who put kids in foster homes uh, tend to have an exponentially higher rate of ADHD. There are a whole bunch of risky behaviors that happen that are an antidote to our boredom. And they can be really big trouble. Yeah. I mean, th that that takes me back to Doug Brackman, where part of his whole thing was like, find outlets for your risky behavior that are healthy and productive. So Right. Yeah. There's a the guy who started Haro, Help a Reporter Out, yep. a guy named Peter Shankman, wrote a book called Faster Than Normal. Mm. Peter Shankman doesn't take medication, um, but what he does do is he skydives all the time. He's yeah. a skydive addict. And he works out on his, you know, Peloton bike and all the rest of it. He finds a healthy outlet. And I think that that is a, a really good way to do it. But before you You've got do me self-diagnosing now because I'm like, hmm, skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am not in a position to diagnose anybody. But if you are in a position to be self-diagnosing, saying, yeah, that some of this resonates, yeah. there are places to go. And, and here's why. Living with undiagnosed ADHD is a crippling or can be a crippling challenge, but it can also be sort of just this subtle thing. Mm -hmm. You know, here's why the subtlety is what concerns me. In lawyers, we have this, you know, we have a huge cohort of people with high IQs. We have people who have right. um, a whole variety of strengths and those strengths can help hide ADHD. And so to the outside world, you look like either, a, you know, a very normal, you know, practitioner or worker or whatever. But the thing that concerns me is that delta, right? Yeah. What if you weren't hampered? What if we brought that brain to bear on changing our profession or mm -hmm. changing your practice or changing the way that you build a business or changing the way that you serve your clients? What if that creativity and that entrepreneurship that you could unleash if you kind of kept those nasty little bits at bay? Mm -hmm. What if we could unleash that in mass and 12 and a half percent of our population all of a sudden just went bonkers with creativity and entrepreneurship and all the other superpowers that come along with with ADHD? You want to talk about change. Yeah. That is where change comes from. And that's what gets me excited. So that that like subtle, invasive sneakiness of accepting normal, accepting 
adequate when it's possible that your potential is so much greater than that is what really fires me up. That's what I get super jazzed about. And on that cliffhanger, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about what to do with all of that potential. We'll be right back. Unlock your team's productivity with Text Expander. You can easily insert text snippets in any application from a library created by you and your team. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners can get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency with you, too. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io lawyerist to get started. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist company exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers unlimited calls. Betty's boutique service boasts customized call handling and virtual assistant services provided by highly trained, relentlessly friendly team members ready to help grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebetty's.com slash lawyerist to get a free one-week trial and use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month of service. Okay, we're back. So Marshall, you left us with a really a compelling thought that you know, if if we could help people take control of their ADHD uh, and and use it as a superpower um, rather than letting it hold them back, um, what an amazing difference that could make to the profession and potentially to the world, which just totally resonates with me. Wow. Yeah, I think we can. And here's the here's the challenge. So many people have no idea about ADHD. First yeah. of all, the name is just shit. It's terrible, <laughs> right? So only one of the four letters is actually accurate. Yeah. So it definitely deals with attention. Well, what is, what is it then? Maybe maybe we should back up and talk about that. What is ADHD actually? Sure. First of all, ADHD is short for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. That is how it's described in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic uh, manual uh, for psychologists and psychiatrists to diagnose uh, mental health conditions. It used to be called ADD, or ADHD. And before that, it used to be called minimal brain dysfunction and a whole <laughs> nice. bunch of other nasty names, right? <laughs> so we still we still probably don't completely get it, but it's showed yeah. up in the medical literature since, you know, the early 1900s. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So it definitely deals with attention. It is not a deficit. In fact, one of the main characteristics of someone with ADHD is their ability to hyper-focus. Hyper-focus on things where their attention wants to be, right? If it is not boring, if it mm -hmm. is new, novel, sexy, interesting, folks with ADHD are going to run laps around other people. They will dive into the depths. They will, um, you know, dig and dig and dig. And as long as it remains novel and interesting and sexy, they're going to stay in it. Mm -hmm. To the point where they might turn off the, you know, put on blinders to everything else around them. H, hyperactivity, 
misnomer. Certainly some people have hyperactivity, but it's complicated because as adults, our hyperactivity tends to turn inward, right? Yeah. So you don't necessarily see people bouncing off of the walls or unable to sit in the chair or, you know, unable to stop fidgeting during a meeting or whatever. It is entirely possible that you can have ADHD and sit in a meeting without being disruptive at the same time. There is another subset of people with ADHD who have no H at all. So there's the hyperactive and impulsive type of ADHD. There's also a type called inattentive type. Hmm. Inattentive type has no hyperactive features at all. And in fact, the, you know, sort of the avatar for that type of ADHD is a young girl who sits in class and is a perfect angel, arms crossed, while it's just chaos and, and madness around her with boys bouncing off of the walls. And she's just a daydreamer. She's looking out the window. She's bored too. She's too smart for this teacher, this math problem or this whatever. But instead of bouncing off the walls, she just lets her brain wander. Mm. And so she loses track uh, too, and it can have really you know, big implications for her too. So ADHD, and then the last one is D disorder. Um, there are a lot of folks who just, you know, flat out disagree with that moniker. It, it's just flat out wrong that it's probably not a disorder. It's probably a trait. But in any event, it's a bad name. And that's why people don't necessarily get it. Right. And so the first part of what you do, if you're even remotely curious, any of the stuff that we talk about rings a bell, go start paying attention. And of course, you can do it on the jdhd.com, but yeah. I don't need to pimp my website. There are incredible resources out there to learn about adult ADHD. And I encourage you to do it. So we've kind of sideswiped this, but there are two things I want to explore as well, which is what are some of the, the thought patterns, some of the indicators that should pique your curiosity if it isn't already? Some of the patterns that might indicate that you have ADHD. And second, earlier you mentioned some of the things that you might do as you're getting curious that are probably going to help uh, whether or not you have ADHD or whether or not you choose to go down the route of getting an, a formal diagnosis. And I'd love for you to talk briefly about those. But first, kind of what are those patterns that might indicate that you ought to be curious and learning more about ADHD? So we've already talked about a few of them, right? So concentration and focus are a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're distracted by low priority things or unimportant things, that can be an indicator or not can be totally benign. Everybody does that. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing. If that feels like something that everyone is, but you mean something a little bit different than just that, right? Yeah. And, and maybe I should step back because in the DSM, which I, I don't think is, it happens to be the one source of truth for what ADHD is, yeah. like it or not, for good or for bad. And it has rules for whether or not you qualify, right? So here's a list of nine things. And if you have five of them, and they have significantly impacted your life in more than one way in the last six months, you qualify. That's it, period. Yeah. You don't need a brain scan. But if you've only had four things that have significantly impacted your life, you don't qualify, but your life has still been impacted. Correct, right? So it's a spectrum. It's a mm -hmm. spectrum disorder or you know, condition or trait. And so of course, you might be distracted by unimportant and low priority things. But if those distractions are what are keeping you from really making progress on your hopes and dreams, your life, your business, your client files, etc., then it's then it's impacting your life. And so wrapped up with that are perfectionism, procrastination, people with ADHD have a really hard time getting started with things. Mm -hmm. They can have a very hard time getting finished with things. They can bring it to like 95% and they're like, okay, the rest of this is just boring details and I got to move on because this is killing me. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, prioritizing things, 
is a challenge or a struggle. And then overlooking details can be a thing, of course. Following directions can be a, a challenge, of course. It, you know, if you're inattentive and somebody's, you know, a partner in your firm is giving you directions for a project and you're sort of, you know, off, you know, maybe only catching every other or every third one of those instructions, you might have a challenge there, might be a struggle. We talked a little bit about impulsiveness, right? You lack some self-control. Buying things, is a, you know, fun, finances and buying stuff can be a struggle for adults with ADHD. Interrupting people when they talk or talk when they're, you know, when, when they're talking. You know, being, again, reckless or spontaneous about decisions. You might see people leave work, um, leave jobs quickly over what seems like mm -hmm. small mm -hmm. things. For me, I think the single biggest and most impactful part of my ADHD journey is the emotional part of it. So for me, shame has been an ever-present part of my professional life. Hmm. I'm complete imposter. I've never done anything right. Everyone should sue me or fire me or, you know, whatever they should do because I'm just, I shouldn't even be here. And, you know, if you have anxiety and get anxious about small issues, if you um, are getting irritated with your kids or you, you tend to have uh, an ex explosive temper or low self-confidence or a hard time getting motivated, those can all be indicators of this emotional component of ADHD, which is not in the DSM, but is recognized by most experts as a really significant part of the huh. ADHD experience, particularly as an adult. For what it's worth, Marshall, I've known you since the sophomore, my second year of law school, and I'm pretty smart, and uh, and you're full of shit. That's you're you're very smart <laughs> and very capable and confident. I just feel like I need to say that after hearing that from you. Sam, I, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I have always thought of you as someone who I've looked up to in the practice and in the profession. So I can't it would be impossible for me to share with you how meaningful that is to me. It really is. I, and I'm you know, I'm not just saying that to you because you're a famous podcaster, but um, <laughs> the feeling of having a discrepancy between what you know you can do and what you are actually doing yeah. is a miserable feeling, mm. especially when it invades every part of your life, the way you're a spouse, the way you're a parent, the way you're a student, the way you're yeah. a, an employee or a business partner, the way you're a lawyer for your clients. It shows up everywhere. When you were a kid, did you frequently hear about your potential and that you weren't living up to it? So here's the weird thing. Um, not so much huh. for me. I was able to pass, right? So mm -hmm. in elementary and, and middle school, I didn't have difficulties. In high school, I still got really good grades, even taking very hard classes without studying particularly hard. Studying was a challenge for me. Undergrad became, I became less able to just piece it together. Mm -hmm. um, but I still did. I got good enough grades to get into a law school and, you know, to take the LSAT and get a, get a score that allowed me to go to a, a law school. Law school wheels kind of started to come off a little bit. It became much harder for me to hold it all together for and sure. rely on whatever those natural tools were. And then in practice, I found in general, I was okay as an associate. So I worked for a big-ish firm in Minneapolis, 80-ish lawyers. And for the most part, I was able to you know take direction, keep myself ordered. I had an assistant. I had bosses who said, this is due right now here. This is your top priority. It wasn't until I started moving to smaller shops with less structure and then ultimately left the practice altogether and had a complete career change as 
you know, the editor-in-chief at Lawyerist, that it really started to feel nigh on impossible to prioritize my stuff and mm -hmm. get it right. Like, what am I supposed to be working on right now? How long is it going to take? I have a tip for people who have ADHD. One of the ways you can start managing it is to a, a start estimating time. You probably don't. People with ADHD are terrible at time. Mm -hmm. If you do start estimating it, whatever your estimate is, triple it. You're almost certainly wrong. Like, hmm. Very, very wrong. As in like, I think this should take two hours. I'm going to triple that to six hours. But the reality is I'm probably going to take 12. Yep. Gotcha. And if you can imagine being a lawyer who bills by the hour and said, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm going to be able to handle that for, you know, that'll be, that'll be about three hours worth of work. I'll be, uh, you know, uh, $700 and we should be good to go. Meanwhile, you've spent 80 hours down the tubes looking for <laughs> right. the perfect case and you've drafted the thing within an inch of its life. You've made sure that there's not a single double space to be seen. You know, you've you've completely lost any revenue or any profitability in that project because of your inability to A, focus on what's important and ship something in an imperfect state mm -hmm. and B, this inability to estimate time. Mm -hmm. So long story short, you know, I, I think that is the first part of it is get an idea of how long it actually takes you to do things because it takes a lot longer than you think. And that leads to the anxiety of just like all of mm -hmm. these things always feeling Hanging like an emergency. And, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. The thing you said about it feeling it, it kind of finally crushing you at Lawyerist is interesting to me because I bet that is something that travels well to other small firm lawyers. And, and maybe this is what you've experienced now that you're doing ADHD work is that there's a lot less structure when you're at a a very small place where everyone needs to be in charge of their own things. And maybe it's easier to hide the ADHD behind that lack of structure, but it's also, there isn't any structure for you to fall back on. When you're at a big firm, you know, your tasks and things are sort of prioritized for you and it's easier to just fall back on that, is my guess of what's going on there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, one of the main sort of defining characteristics of ADHD is it is an executive function challenge, mm. you have disordered executive functions. And the executive functions are a list of things that basically help you do those things, right? Prioritize, get started, plan a project out. Oh, okay. I've been assigned to this project. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what the right mileposts are. Here's what making meaningful progress toward that goal looks like. So if I have a project that's due in three months, I can chunk it up into if you have ADHD, it's either right now burning hot fire, <laughs> dopamine hit, gun to the head, got to get it done. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, ah, you know, later, mm -hmm. some other time. It happens for me with vacation. So like, I'll have a vacation that we're planning to go on. And I literally don't think about it because it's just way out there. Right. And then, uh, you know, as, as it becomes increasingly obvious that I can't ignore it any longer, then I will do some scrambling to make sure that everything's good at work and that, you know, I've packed, you know, a sufficient number of underwear and all that stuff. But like, it just, I, I lack the, I, I don't benefit the way that some people do in the anticipation of vacations, which I understand is like 80% of the joy of them anyway. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because that also plays out in things like briefs, right? It's and, and trial prep. It's why lawyers pull so many all-nighters um, long after all of our peers have moved past that phase. Lawyers with ADHD certainly do. Well, I mean, that that's what I'm getting at is it feels like there are some there are some things about the way that law practice is constructed is is just happens that really almost cater to that mental state, right? Like if, if you have trial, you're just not getting much sleep during the trial. That's how it works. And too bad for you. 
which is exactly what someone with ADHD would feed off of, I think. Yeah. So there are, I'm really interested in doing some research into the careers in the law mm-hmm. that tend to feed lawyers with ADHD well. Yeah. Because there certainly are. Trial some, lawyer right? has to be I mean, one of them. <laughs> being a trial, but a real live trial lawyer, yeah. not a litigator, no, not no, the no. kind who goes to trial once in, you know, once every seven mm-hmm. years and the rest of it is spent doing written discovery. Trial must be just crack for ADHD. I think that it is. Yeah. I think that it, or or cocaine yeah. or other stimulants because <laughs> because that's really what it is. It's really just a matter of getting enough stimulant into your brain to make it work the way it's supposed to. For sure. And so, yes, there are a bunch of things that are really interesting, right? A new fact pattern, learning a new thing about an expert or a new field of law or whatever. But drafting the same objection to written discovery for all 736 interrogatories. Yep, give it to an associate. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> Yikes. So that's brutal. And th- I'm interested in what what careers in the law would be supportive. Yeah. But yes, to your point, right? Perfectionism, right? If I already have an inclination to be perfect and the message from the partners or from my clients or from my malpractice carrier is that I must be perfect or there will be meaningful consequences, potentially the loss of my license, the loss of my job, the mm-hmm. loss of my professional standing, the loss of clients, et cetera. Perfection is the only standard. Yeah. That is the only thing that I can do. And so, um, you know, that that um, begins to feed itself in what I think are negative ways. So we bounced around a bit, but I want to tie us up here by something that you mentioned to me while we were getting prepared, which is that there are a number of ways that people who are getting curious, who are beginning to get help to seek someone out for a diagnosis can get derailed. And uh, you wanted to make sure that we talked about ways to avoid getting derailed while you're seeking out help. So maybe you can tell us what some of those things are. Yeah. So we already talked about my charlatan. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there who are medical experts and who do not know the current state of the medicine of ADHD, particularly hmm. adult ADHD. Be warned, right? You need to do some due diligence to find the people who are actually expert in this stuff because the cost can be high. If they say you don't have it, you already have enough shame and enough doubt and enough anxiety where you're probably not going to go back to the, you know, back to the drawing board and try a new doc. Yeah. Because you're going to feel like you're doc shopping or like you're trying to find a problem where none exists or whatever. So getting it right the first time can be important. Another thing is in the diagnostic process itself. So like I said earlier, the diagnostic criteria for ADHD are really plain. They're really not difficult. However, they lack some context. And so some providers, this is not necessary for a diagnosis, but some providers do what's called a full neurocognitive assessment, which does a whole battery of tests and can give a lot more color to some of the impairments that you're describing, Hmm. right? So for me, for example, and this is not a humble brag at all because whatever. So IQ testing was a part of my full neurocognitive assessment. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of things where I was up on that side of the scale, but there were a couple of them that were like weirdly critically low, Hmm. like not one in 100 bad, like one in 10,000 bad, like 10,000 people around you do this better than you do. Hmm. That is a shockingly bad skill that you have. And then, you know, that's kind of hard to hear. Like, wow, I suck at that. (laughs) Just could not be any worse. It would literally be impossible. What's an example? Well, um, so for me, one of the strengths that I have is in uh, verbal processing, sure. right? So I'm really good at whatever. One of the things that I don't do well at all is, for example, read faces. Hmm. So when, the, so I scare the shit out of introverts like all the time. 
when someone shows me a face of being scared, I look at it and I see them as being excited. Really? <laughs> I that is <sighs> not something I would have associated with you, but you are the worst person in the world United States at reading faces apparently. I'm pretty bad at it. There yeah. are others. Um, and and I'm, I'm actually happy to talk about all of my pathology. But my, my point is there are a series of little things where, yes, there are these 18 criteria that if you check the box, yes, you know, you eventually will get enough checked boxes to qualify for a diagnosis. But for lawyers with ADHD, we have high IQs, mm-hmm. not all of us, but some of us do. And so your high IQ helps you in the executive functions that are described in the diagnostic criteria. So you might show up as merely average in these, you know, these diagnostic criteria, even though your potential is to be absolutely extraordinary. It probably depends on how you, how you describe your experience of those criteria as well. And if you're trying to, you know, make yourself feel better about it, maybe the way you describe it is not going to be enough to you know, trigger a diagnosis. I don't know if that's real or not, but. Yeah, I, I, I think it is certainly the case that there's a subjective component in mm-hmm. a lot of the neurocognitive assessment stuff, the full neurocognitive, you know, rigmarole is to try to control for that. And I think most of the medical establishment would agree that we're only medium good at it, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not excellent. But the good news is that if you do have ADHD, a couple things are true. First of all, treatment is extraordinarily effective. So I am not a medication all the time sort of guy, not my deal. But for 88 or some odd percentage, an extremely high percentage of lawyers with ADHD, if you use one of the two stimulant medications that are described as the first line of treatment for ADHD, you will see a positive impact on your life, usually not a small one. Hmm. Second, there are a bunch of things other than medication that can be extraordinarily useful for mitigating the negative impacts of ADHD to let you start releasing some of that, that positive stuff. And if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about that. No, but I want you to remember to ask me about the positives. We haven't talked a lot about it and it really is my favorite part of all of this, but so sleep critically important for everybody, but especially so for lawyers with ADHD. Food, protein. Protein is critically important to build the neurotransmitters that help you process dopamine and get your brain working the right way. Exercise. A brilliant book called Spark by a guy named John Ratey, an MD, talks about all of the evidence that there is to say that getting 30 minutes of exercise a day is probably more effective than medication for many people, not just people with ADHD, right? It's just an extraordinary superpower when it comes to productivity and focus and a whole bunch of other things. So those things can be immediately helpful. Another thing that can be super duper helpful is just the idea of externalizing executive function. So for me, one thing I do is I I do this exercise of having a body double fairly often. And I know lawyers does this through your lab, right? When when someone Mm -hmm. signs up for lawyer's lab, Sometimes in the afternoons on whatever day it is, you can just log into a Zoom conference and tell the world what you're going to do. Hey, I'm going to work on this demand letter for the next one hour. And then you put your head down and you work on it for an hour. And there's really good evidence that particularly for people with ADHD, that can be a really powerful tool 
to get the stuff done that you say you're going to do without getting distracted. Yeah. So thinking of ways to kind of externalize that executive function can be really, really powerful too. So it is all good news. If you have ADHD and you are an adult, A, it's probably really difficult to diagnose you because you've made it this far. B, if you do get diagnosed, there's a ton of stuff out there that suggests that it is all uphill, you know, that it's, that it's all good coming from here, right? You, you will only get better starting right now. Mm-hmm. And three, when you are treated, if you have your ADHD under control or even under a modicum of control, the kinds of stuff that happens is extraordinary. It starts with relationships, right? So like if you have a spouse or a boss or an associate or whatever who has come to see you as the kind of person who fails them from time to time, the boost that you will get by being the kind of person who just doesn't fail them all of the time is awesome. Yeah. I can tell you. It's, <laughs> it's really, really cool. And there's a bunch of other stuff too. Well, so you asked me to make sure and prompt you to talk about the positive side of ADHD. And it feels like as we wind down our conversation, that seems like the right place to end is what are the superpowers that come with it? So there are many. And the medical literature reports on some of them. So I'm not just making this up. This isn't just my experience. It is not all established that the 57 things that I write about in my free 10-day email course are all positively associated with everyone who has ADHD. But in general, creativity is a huge one, Mm -hmm. right? So thinking about the world or problems or issues in a way that others don't happens naturally for people with ADHD. They just come at problems in a different way, which means if you're trying to design something or solve a problem or create something new, someone with ADHD is a great, great, great person to have on your team. They probably aren't going to be the ones to implement it. (laughs) But having them be there at the genesis can be such an important part of that because lawyers tend to be risk averse and staid and sleepy and, you know, inclined toward doing it the way we've always done it. Having someone sit there and say, you know, what if we, what would it look like if we did X instead, I think is really a a great superpower. And that leads into the next one, right? So a massive number of entrepreneurs, some famous, some not, are described as having ADHD, right? There are famous people all over the board from scientists way, way, way back in history, all the way up to um, some of the new ones, Richard Branson and Elon Musk and others who credit ADHD and their creativity and their inability to just chill out for a minute Mm -hmm. for their ability to build huge and amazing things. There are other things you talked about, the farmers versus the hunters and Mm -hmm. that explorer of the universe nature is 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 a is a real thing it comes with energy and it comes with you know this perceptiveness that that we can have about the world like this is all good here mm-hmm. everything is under control here what can i go do to push the envelope a little bit so those are those are just some of them i find the folks who have adhd to be extraordinarily warm and engaging and compassionate and i just i love this group of people and when they start to think about themselves as people who have these strengths and that they just need to learn how to wield them. The goodness that comes out of that and the energy that comes out of that is so inspiring to me. Very cool. 
Marshall, thanks so much for bringing us up to speed on ADHD and in lawyers. Uh, Folks, if you want to learn more, there are a number of places that you can go, but thejdhd.com should be one of them. We'll obviously include the link in our notes. And you mentioned briefly just a moment ago that you've got an online course that people can take to learn more about ADHD and satisfy some of that curiosity, right? I do, yeah. So for right now, it's just a totally free 10-day email course. Give me your email address and in exchange, I will send you one email a day for 10 days telling you a bunch of cool stuff about ADHD. And, you know, in return, what I would probably ask for is that you just engage with me. Every time I talk to somebody, I learn something new about their experience and about um, how it's impacted their life. And that's what I'm in for. So, uh, yeah, reach out. Well, and go listen to your podcast. There'll be new episodes launching soon. By the time this is out, I think you'll have a new episode up and the one you mentioned with Ned Halliwell and, uh, and you'll keep on going. So look forward to seeing where that goes. That's right. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks so much, Sam. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.